Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And we've got a lot of fun things to talk about today. Dropbox is going public after 10 years of losing money, continuing to lose money. But Mm -hmm. now they're going to get some outside investors to help subsidize them. Manaport, you know, know, was indicted by the uh, special counsel. And it turns out he's got issues, IT issues, that make his stuff more trackable. Yeah, isn't it? That's pretty funny. So we'll talk about his IT deficiencies and why it made tracking him down so much easier. Uh, This is the season of the big IRS scam. Oh, right, yeah. We'll talk about what's coming out there. Uh, I'm going to also talk a little bit about how to create a community front page on Facebook. You know, a lot of people have different things they work on besides their personal, um, you know, items on mm-hmm. Facebook page. And so how can you create a community page or a nonprofit page? It's very easy to do, and it doesn't cost a thing. And we're going to feature the man who invented the email attachment. Uh, he, he said his first email attachment back in 1992, and we'll talk about that history a bit. And of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Wow. Two weeks uh, in a row, he got it right. Oh, very good. We got an email from Doug in Baton Rouge. Dear Doctor Shirts, and hey, Jim. <laughs> hey, hey, Doug. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I searched and found on my computer. I got a Windows 10. Um, Microsoft Windows 10 computer, an internet folder called Cookies. And when I looked for named files, I could see all sorts of mumbo-jumbos and letters with uh, all sorts of, you know, all ending with an extension, cookie, all kinds of codes on here. And I'm just trying to figure out what, you know, what all these codes mean and, you know, how to decipher them. They... Uh, I don't seem to have any, you know, I don't, I don't have any real, any real concerns here. I just want, want to get rid of cookies that I don't need, and uh, but I do want to keep the cookies that are on my registered and secure sites, like for my banking and other things. It helps me log in. Thanks for a great and informative show, Doug in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Well, Doug, cookies are a uh, a way. For websites that communicate with you to store information, like when you go back to the website, you might want to have your username automatically put into the logon screen. Or you may have selected some default options for that particular website, maybe certain colors or maybe certain uh, items. You might have purchased something there previously and you've got some, some uh, history with them. And they would like to store all of that in your machine, so that when you go back and log into that particular website, it can pull that data out and restore the look and feel of 
of the web page to the way you left it. So it was really designed to be convenient for the user. And that information is stored as clear text, and they're called cookies, and they're stored by the browser. And a website actually has different commands for creating cookies and storing them on the browser. Now, a cookie has several things. It's got pairs of data. So, like, suppose... You've got user ID as one of the data that you want to store with the with the browser. It will have the it, the name of the of the field is user ID, and that will be followed by a you know a string of numbers, which is the user ID that they've assigned you. And those and you got that pair of data. You know the name of the field plus the the data in the field is stored, and you might have multiple pairs of these stored in the cookie depending on what the what the uh, site is going to be tracking. You also have the domain name of the site that that actually put the cookie in, and so that domain name then has the right to grab the cookie. You also have an expiration date. If you if you if, if they say the cookie is only going to be good for like two weeks, it's got an expiration date. It could also have an expiration duration, like uh, it might be good for one month, and so it would have a one month duration. But what they do when they give a duration, they don't put the duration in days, they put it in seconds. So it's a very big number, that duration. So it could be a duration, it could be a date, could be any number of items like that. They also have another option in the cookie where they can, in fact, they can, in fact, send the cookie information over, um, over an encrypted data stream, HTTPS, that tends to protect the cookie um, to, to a certain degree. Now your sites that you uh, that you go to, your like your you know your banking sites, they're going to store your user ID. I would not recommend that they would store the password. That you know you don't really want the password there. Now you can actually you can look at the cookies. You can go into the browser, and every browser has a place where you can go in and you can look at the cookies that that browser has stored. You don't have to go into the raw subdirectory, and you can look at them. Now if you'd like to read to see what the what the cookie actually means there's an extension there's that's called the decoder you know a cookie decoder extension they've got a lot of them now i would just have to be in chrome i'm using chrome now chrome and I, there's an extension called encoder decoder by the emergency.com and it's pretty nice you just can paste in whatever cookie you want and it will tell you what it means it will give it back to you so if you want to know what your cookies are going to be doing if you want to read all that all those codes just paste it into that cookie decoder and it'll tell you everything that you want to know normally the cookies are going to track session management like logins shopping carts game scores anything else the server should remember any kind of personalization you have it will be user preferences it'll also track uh, user behavior. Uh, this is used, user behavior, to track what you look at so they can deliver ads to you. And so cookies are useful, but they can also can be abused mm -hmm. by certain sites. We got an email from Ken Myers. Love your show. I keep missing it. I know I've I know you got the podcast, but uh, could you put the time and day and the station call letters on your website so that I can find where it is? Uh, really, I love the show. Thanks again, Ken Myers. Well, Ken, you can go to the Tech Talk page, techtalk.stratford.edu, and that will tell you now that uh, it's on uh, Federal News Radio 1500 AM at 9 AM on Saturdays. And, of course, you can 
uh, you can uh, reuse it. You don't have to listen to it uh, in Washington. You can use the TuneIn radio app, and you can simply search for either Federal News Radio or 1500 AM, and it will come up with the show. So you can listen to it live over the Internet anywhere. Yep. Uh, using federal using using TuneIn Radio and of course the podcasts are always available. Thanks for being a loyal listener there. Um, and uh, Ken, now we've got an email from Arnie in Crownsville, Maryland. This is an old email, actually. Arnie's now out in uh, Colorado. This, but he when he wrote this, he was in Crownsville, Maryland. Hi, Doctor Shirts. I saw this story on BBC News. The Dark Net has a service called Tor, where you can visit hidden websites that may have their identities revealed. Uh, Tor uh, is uh, has shown a lot of, you know, a lot of interesting things lately, and uh, Tor is something that I would kind of like to understand. It seems like the government has a lot of interest in this. Is there any particular use by just the regular user? Arnie in Crownsville, Maryland. Well, Arnie, Tor is designed for people who want to surf the web anonymously. This is what it was originally designed. It was actually a um, uh, it was actually a, a, a routing project that originated in the U.S. Naval Research Lab. And what they wanted to do, they they wanted to find a way for uh, you so for for say government personnel or individuals that were behind enemy lines or people that were in repressive countries where they could surf the web and people couldn't tell where they were actually located. So Tor. Is it's called? It stands for the Onion Router. The Onion Router, and it and it routes your requests over the internet through multiple layers and multiple relays, and each relay is another layer of the onion. You see, mm-hmm. and so by the time you get to the final site where you want to go, you might have you might have been you might have gone through ten or twelve or fifteen relays, and each relay then. Disguise is where that request came from, and so it's very hard to trace all the way back to you through all of those relays. So this has been a very effective method for masking your location on the web. Well, it turns out it's also used by criminals, as you would expect. Yeah, sure. So a criminal wants to go on to some of these uh, these uh, sites that are on the, the dark web where they could buy you know, illegal services. They could buy drugs. They could buy all. There's human trafficking on there. You can even go to these dark websites. You, you know, they got murder for hire sites. They got all sorts of really bad stuff on the dark web. So criminals that want to use the dark web to procure services illegally, of course, don't want to be traced down by the federal government, and so they use Tor. That's a very good way to do that. And Tor has a very strong encryption. In fact, it was so good that Edward Snowden only used Tor exclusively when he surfed the web. He, of course, the guy that revealed all the U.S. secrets. Now he's off, put him on WikiLeaks. Now he's off hiding somewhere. Mm-hmm. But, um, but he only used Tor because that was a very good way to do it. Now it turns out that uh, the government actually is able to kind of crack into the Tor network. So it's not as secure as you might think. It's good if you're, say, behind the, the enemy line. If you're in China and you want to surf the web, you don't want the Chinese government to track you down. Tor is a pretty good item. But I think the NSA has a back door into the Tor network, so they can they can trace down where you've been. So it's not totally anonymous, but it's pretty good, and it's probably your best option out there if you want to surf the web anonymously, Arnie. We got an email from Tracy in Fairfax. Dear Tech Talk, 
I've got an iPhone, and it's and I'm using iMessage for all my communication. Now my boss communicates with me by iMessage on the weekend, and I don't want him to know that I've read the iMessage. Right. Because once I've read it, then he expects me to do something with it. It opens the floodgates. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'd like to just turn off the read message notification from him, but leave it on for everybody else. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to do. I just want to only only want to target my boss. I don't want him to know it. And so that he sends me, even though I read it, he thinks I isn't read it. He thinks I'm not reading it. Well, this is actually, as you know, by default... It, your iPhone is set up to automatically notify someone when you've read an iMessage by default. But you can turn it off by user. So this is what you what you want to do. It's really extremely easy to do. You, you go within the message app, open up the conversation with the contact in question. So you you go to the go to the message app, find the find his name, click on it, and then uh, then when you're in the in the um, in the uh, with when you brought up his name and the messages that he is associated with, you look in the upper right hand corner. There's a little I. Click on that. It's a it's a round button I. Click on that, and there's going to be something called send receipts, send read receipts. Just turn it off, and so that will turn off the send read receipts for that user account only, and you can read his messages, and he will and ignore never them. know. That you've looked at them. Very and you nice. have plausible deniability. Exactly. You can say, you know, I was out on the slopes all weekend. I just didn't see that emergency message you had to do this research project. But as soon as I got to work on Monday. There it was. There it was. I'm I saw it. it. I'm all over it now. So so good luck with that, Tracy. I'm sure that will work for you. I hope he's not listening. Yeah. Just don't. Tell him that you did that, and I hope you used a fake name. <laughs> we don't want, we don't want no. him, we don't want him to be listening to this no. show. We got an email from Alex in Reston, dear Doc and Jim. I recently got notification from LifeLock that they had found information regarding my accounts on the dark web. You know, this is yeah. The another thing they do on the dark web is they sell credit card numbers, they sell all sorts of personal information, so people can engage in identity theft. So they said on the dark web they had my account password was uh, was uh, revealed for LinkedIn, mm-hmm. and that could be a potential breach and impact the LinkedIn site. They said my password was readable, and it's on the dark web. What should I do? Is it really a serious threat? Love the show, Alex and Reston. Well, uh, Alex, um, if they've said that your uh, LinkedIn password's on the dark web and they're worth some... There were some uh, security breaches at LinkedIn. You can simply change your password with LinkedIn. And hopefully you didn't use the same password on multiple sites all over the place. Because if you did, you may want to change all of those passwords and maybe even do something totally unique, make them different. Not all the same password. That would be the first thing I would do. I would also double-check the account settings because there are... Email addresses and phone numbers that are used for resetting the password, where you can you can you can reset the password. It'll send a text message to a phone number, or or it will send a, an email address. So frequently, uh, when people hack an account, those backup reset parameters are changed. So it's going to somebody else's phone number and somebody else's email address. So they can go in and request a password change, even though they can't log into your account. And they'll get an email to this bogus email account, and they can then reset the password. 
even after you've gotten the account back. So just double check that. Now, the other thing that I would do, and this is, uh, you know, I've, I've done this on all my accounts that I really care about. I've set up two-factor authentication. Two-factor authentication is really good. Because even if somebody has your password, they can't get into your account because they log in with your password to the account. And if two-factor authentication is set up and you have given them a phone number or an email address, then they send a message either to either a text message to your phone or an email to the email account. And that text message or the email has a code in it. It could either be a, it's usually a six-digit code. Then you have to go back to your account and enter the six-digit code, that's the second factor, and then you can get into the account. So you can only log in if you have the correct password and if you have access to either the email account or the or the phone. I prefer using the phone because even the, the phone, you know, you've got to physically hold the phone in order mm -hmm. for it to work, and I think that's extremely secure. So best of luck with your with your with your ac activities there. I um because identity theft is a big problem and what happens now particularly around tax time people engage in identity theft because you know tax refunds are given over you know yeah. online tax refunds there are cases where people have had their identity stolen they've logged on and they've gotten the tax refund so by the time the person goes to pick up their tax refund it's already it's gone. gone so identity theft is a serious problem listen we love your emails email us at techtalk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can it is saturday morning you're listening to tech talk radio this is federal news radio 1500 a.m 103.5 fm hd2 103.9 fm hd2 you can watch us do the show by downloading the periscope app to your device and following us at wfed tech talk if it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu 18 it that's stratford.edu 18 it If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Yes, today we're going to feature Nathaniel S. Borenstein. Nathaniel S. Bornstein is a computer scientist best known 
as the creator of the protocol for email attachments. This protocol is called MIME, M-I-M-E, and that stands for Multipurpose Internet Mail Extensions. So you go to a cocktail party tonight, <laughs> say, uh, do you know the protocol used for email extensions? And then uh, the room empties out. Multipurpose internet mail extensions. You, you know, and listen, if you want to use my technique, you'll be in an empty room. <laughs> <laughs> nobody, nice. nobody wants to talk about that. No. No, 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 no. But you can do it, and perhaps you'll have a different result. Now, Nathaniel S. Bornstein was born uh, September 25th, 1957 in Ohio. Now, he was a child prodigy, really a bright guy. He was reading adult books at age two. He was doing college work in the third grade. Now, here was the problem. He was like becoming kind of a social outcast because he was like doing college work in the third grade. He didn't have anything, you know, connect to his friends. So in the fourth grade... His parents put a grinding halt to his advanced studies. They said he could not study advanced stuff in the fourth grade. He had to study, study fourth grade material. Well, he was bored silly. <laughs> so they, um, they signed him up for classical guitar lessons in the fourth grade. That was the only new class that he could study. And it turned out, he said that was the first time that he ever felt inferior as a prodigy, because he just didn't have the skills. He was to not be, musically inclined. No, but, and, but he, he focused on it uh -huh. because that's all he had. And he just really put his heart and soul into playing the classical guitar. He actually loved, uh, he loved Glenn Campbell, you know. Glenn Campbell like just. That's right. He, he, he loved him, and, he, and, he, and so he had this dream of maybe, you know, playing guitar and singing. And he said he even felt more inferior because he had a terrible voice. Well, I think his parents were just trying to put him in place so he wouldn't just be totally arrogant. It was, mm -hmm. not, it was not a bad idea, I think, what his parents did, get him focused on other things. And so, and so then he just progressed at school. In, in 1973, he was awarded—he was also kind of an activist— in '72, he went to school. He was uh, he he was um, you know he went to you know was in, in high school. He went to high school wearing a black armband on the anniversary of the Kent State shootings, hmm. and the school sent him home. They said you you, you <laughs> cannot wear that. You cannot wear that black armband here. You've got to go home. Nobody so, else knew what he went. What, no, and yeah. so the ACLU came in and defended him, and they said, look, that's a that's a, you're violating his freedom of speech, and he was the first high school student to win a cash settlement from a school board holy cow so he was you know he was like a he was like a superstar in the uh, in the in the protest business bornstein received the bachelor of arts in mathematics and religious studies from grinnell college in 1980 mathematics and religious studies quite, that's quite, quite a, the mix it is quite a mix grinnell now grinnell was actually the fourth college he attended he sort of had to come down to earth I was going to say Grinnell is not exactly what you would call Ivy League. Is no, it? it's not. But you know, I, I, you know, I think he, I think he might have had some issues. You know, focusing, like socialization or focusing. Yeah, focusing because focusing, he was too smart. Yeah, focusing socialization. Finally, Grinnell figured out the formula to keep him <laughs> in school and get him through. Should have gone to Stratford. He, yeah, he should have gone to Stratford. <laughs> that would have, that would have been that would have been a much better choice for him. <laughs> now he he finally straightened up. He got a PhD from. Carnegie Mellon University in 1985. 
Now, while at Carnegie, Carnegie, Carnegie Mellon, he co-developed the email components of a system for the Andrew Project. And this was the first multimedia electronic mail system used outside of the lab. And that was kind of a, just a, a school project. It really wasn't broadly used anywhere else, but it was used within, with, within uh, Carnegie Mellon. Then after he graduated from Carnegie Mellon, he went to Bell Labs, and he developed a series of standards for electronic mail systems where they could exchange multimedia messages in a common way. I mean, because people had all kinds of things they wanted to hook onto an email. You want to pictures. Right. You know, you, you may want to have a, an audio file, a video file, all kinds of different things. How can you hook them onto a, an email and, and, and send it and then have the person at the other end be able to grab the attachment and look at it? There, and he created the standards for that. So he created, and he called it the um, Multipurpose Internet Mail Extension Standard, and he wrote the standards for the, the, the Internet as, uh, as RFE, uh, you know, Request for Comment. Or, and so he, he, sent those, he wrote those standards, and he created the code for the first email attachment, and he sent this email with an attachment March 11th, 1992, now, in the lab, they created an attachment that they were going to send. They wanted, they wanted to send really a, a memorable, a memorable attachment. And so all the technicians in the lab, they set up, they, 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 they created within the lab, because they, they were, of course, at Bell Labs. Bell Labs has a lot of telephone cords. So they created the telephone cord barbershop quartet, mm -hmm. and they sang this song, and this was the first email attachment. <laughs> they weren't audio technicians, no. that's for sure. <laughs> oh, it sounds like a bunch of telephone cords to me. It does. <laughs> Tangled telephone cords. <laughs> Move it along, boys. Let's go. You want to keep? Yes, let's, we'll get, just, let's, we'll just, let's get the uh, let's get the uh, you know the well, you get the idea. The tempo's a little bit slow. It is okay. Listen, let, listen, telephone cords. Why don't you let let's cut the cord on that? On Saturday night, <laughs> do they sell the CD on you know like public access ninety seven or? Listen, you can go to guppylake.com and you can download that for free. Well, there you go. It's that's about the right price. <laughs> now. In 1994, Baron Bornstein founded a company called the First Virtual Holdings. It was the first cyber bank. The Smithsonian has called it the first cyber bank, historically looking at it. It was later acquired by DoubleClick. So, you know, he was only at Bell Labs for a short time, started a company, being kind of an entrepreneur. In 2000, he started NetPOS. Which is point of sale? Net, oh, say net, net point of sale. It's a web-based sales system, and so you know there are all these point of sale systems out there in stores and at restaurants, and they were all uh, basically worked on. Uh, you know, basically went into a, a timeshare computer there, and they weren't. You know, they weren't very flexible. And he thought we should really have a point of sale system that just used the internet, and you just linked it to servers. Much more dynamic and much cheaper. So he created NetPOS was a successful um, successful company there. And then in 2002, he was hired as a distinguished scientist by IBM, and he went to work in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he worked there on, um, on various uh, Internet and email uh, projects. And then in 2010, he became chief scientist at Mimecast in London, which is an email company. He, I guess he sort of, his whole... 
His whole career just sort of shifted into email. You see, you can see this trend here. He actually, um, now he was colorblind. Really? He was colorblind from birth, and uh, and he always felt that he wanted a way to overcome it. And so he created a company called Amplify Vision, A-M-P-L-I-F-E-Y-E, Amplify Vision. And you can go to amplify.vision, amplify.vision, go to that website, and uh, they're and they actually have a device that you it, it looks like a, looks like goggles you put on it's got a camera there and it then basically creates by because it it actually creates artificial color for you because usually people who are colorblind they can they, they can see certain colors but they're the wrong colors in the wrong location and so you can adjust the sensitivity and how this device displays different colors, and you can optimize it so that you can actually see different colors. So, like, if hmm. somebody is is colorblind to green, you might be able to to transpose the green so it's another color that you can see. So you can actually see the difference between green and blue, for instance. And so he actually created this, and um, and he, he said it was just fantastic. He could go out, he could look at flowers, and he could see they were but all But he's wearing all goggles. Different. He's wearing goggles, but at least he could see different colors, right. and he could he could see he could see the blue sky. He now it may not look blue to him, but it was a different different color. He could mm-hmm. and he could see these different colors. It, it was transformative. So they they actually are selling this device, and um, and they you you can donate. You it's still they're still raising money for crowdsourcing to do additional research. But I saw I watched videos on this thing. There are people there. It's just transformed their lives. So you can go to Amplify, A-M-P-L-I-F-E-Y-E, Vision, Amplify.Vision, and you can check it out. Now, he was author also of a, of a book at, which was titled Programming as if People Mattered. <laughs> Programming as if People Mattered. Flen- friendly Programs, Software Engineering, and Other Noble delusions. Interesting. <laughs> you see, this guy is sort of a renegade. It's it's, just, it would at, seem that look way. Look at the title of this: programming as if people mattered. Mm-hmm. Friendly programs, software engineering, and other noble delusions. <laughs> it was published by Princeton University Press in 1994. So he's actually a uh, you know a technology renegade. He lives with his wife Trina in uh, Ann Arbor, uh, Michigan. They've got four grown daughters. Now he's a pacifist, and uh, and he still you know goes on marches. He's still very much active in this uh, whole arena of protest. He named his web server and wireless network Ahimsa, Ahimsa, H H I A H I M S A, Ahimsa. Now that means nonviolence toward all living things in Hindu, Buddhist, and Jain traditions. Ahimsa. Ahimsa, ahimsa. So you 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 know. So he was just making a statement, even with his wireless network. His official blog is blog.mimecast.com slash author slash Bornstein, and he, and his personal blog. Now this is the, the personal blog is really interesting. You go to the view from Puppy Lake. dot blogspot.com. Is, is it Puppy Lake Gupp, or Guppy, Guppy Lake? Lake? Yeah, the view from Guppy Lake. The view from guppylake.blogspot.com. And he's got really interesting stories there. He's an interesting writer. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed going through his, 
Interesting. His, his blog. So there you go, Nathaniel S. Borenstein, the man who created the email attachment. Hope you were paying attention because your knowledge could yield you free lunch coming up when we play the pop quiz here on Tech Talk Radio, Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1039 FM HD2, 1035 FM HD2. Watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at WFED Tech Talk. Learn more about this show at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. You can go to the bottom right of the page and click on the Tech Talk link to see more about this radio program. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics, and networking telecommunications careers. Now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Hang on, I've got to turn our mics back on. Oh, yes. Thank there you, you are. Very much. There hey. we go. There we go. Get off, the, off the counter, please. Yep, yep. Sit down, sit it's down. Stop throwing bunt cake. Yeah, that's yes. right. Oh, of course, welcome back to Classroom of the Airways. We have been uh, teaching uh, so many high-level topics, and we're going to see whether you've been listening to those high-level discussions. Uh -huh. yes. Very, very high-level discussions. Earlier in the show, we talked about Nathaniel S. Borenstein, of course, the man who created the email attachment standard MIME. that stands for Multipurpose Internet Mail Extensions. Well, later in life, he started another company called Amplify. Amplify. What was the motivation to start that company, Amplify? If you know the answer to the question, don't send us an email. Pick up your phone and call us now. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. Calling from east of Playa del Shirts, Virginia, the number is 877-936-9333. If you're trying to send me an email in 
Canada. <laughs> Call us on the wildcard line, 877-936-9333. The international line has been disqualified from the Olympics for doping. <laughs> yes, and if you want to reach us from South Korea on the <laughs> snow slopes, right. on the ski slopes, you can connect to us using Skype. Simply take connect to Tech Talk Radio 1 and your call will be forwarded to the studio for free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control is standing by to take your call, so dial now. The phones have started to melt. Oh, very good. Now, Dropbox is going public after 10 years, 10 years after its launch, and they filed uh, documents with the uh, Security and Exchange Commission, and they're looking to raise $500 million on the public market. They'll be traded as DBX. Now, the company's revenues have been increasing for the past three years. They grew from $603 million in 2015 to $1.1 billion in 2017. But they've lost money all this time. They lost $326 million in 2015, and their, their losses were down to $111 million in 2017. So in the magic of Silicon Valley, a company that loses money every year is worth a lot of money. There you go. That's the Silicon Valley magic. In 2016, they had 6.5 million paying users, and that doubled in two years to 11 million users. Dropbox says that 90% of its revenue comes from users who purchase the subscription on their own. That means they have failed to penetrate the corporate market, and that it was a big, big downfall for Dropbox because that's a source of recurring revenue. Dropbox was founded in 2017. They they uh, they launched to the public in I mean not twenty two thousand and seven I mean and they they launched to the public in two thousand and eight, but I'll tell you I love Dropbox it's simple to use mm-hmm. I use Dropbox I've been using Dropbox for a long time and actually I finally started paying because I I had I'd reached my limit of free storage and now I'm paying uh, for one terabyte of storage I'm, I don't paying like six dollars a month or something there you go. so I'm quite happy with Dropbox. I think you can handle that oh yeah I think so all right okay we've got somebody on the phone oh, who would right. like to play our little game let us go to line number oh let's see one this would be Jim who is calling us from Vienna Virginia Jim good morning how are you sir Good morning. I'm doing great. Good. Dr. Schertz, if you please ask yeah, the question. So early in the show, we talked about Nathaniel S. Borenstein, of course, the man who computed, who created the email attachment standard MIME. But later in life, he started another company called Amplify. What was the motivation for that company? Uh, he was colorblind. And that he is, wanted some way to help people who are colorblind to see. That, that is correct. Very good. Uh, yeah, another essay yes, question answer there. That's right. Jim, Perfect. thank you very much for calling and playing. Dr. Schertz, please tell him what he's won. You'll win some tickets to fine dining at one of our class in one of our dining rooms in the area. Okay. Jim, yes. hang on the line. We're going to put you on hold. Andrew Mitchell will take care of uh, getting the yes. information from you, and we will be right back here very shortly on Tech Talk Radio. You're listening to us on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 1039 FM HD 2, 1035 FM HD 2. On the web at stratford.edu and federalnewsradio.com, you can learn more about our program by, um, actually, you can watch us do the program by following us on the Periscope at at WFED Check Talk. Of course, you have to download that app first to your device. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. 
Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity. Digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act. Stratford makes it easy, turning your qualified experience into credits earned, and if you're a vet, they'll help you maximize your military benefits. Get complete details and register today at stratford.edu slash 18IT. That's stratford.edu slash 18IT. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. Well, the indictments of Paul Manafort and Rick Gates were released. And it's clear that <laughs> Paul Manafort, Manafort had some serious IT deficiencies. It turned out that he did not know how to edit a PDF file. Oops. And, of course, you could take a PDF file and simply import it into Microsoft Word. It'll automatically convert it to a Word document automatically. You mm -hmm. can make the edits, and you can save it back as a PDF file, all self-contained. Well, he didn't know how to do that. So he sent the PDF file to Rick Gates. Rick Gates then converted the PDF to a Word document, and sent it back to Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort then made changes, edited the Word file, and sent it back to Rick Gates. Rick Gates then converted it from a Word document to a um, PDF file, and they sent the PDF file back to Paul Manafort, Manafort. Now, it turns out that all of that email transaction provided a trail of the actual audit changes and the true depth of the deception. So the FBI simply tracked all this email trail, and they knew exactly how Paul Manafort had defrauded the bank when he was reporting fake financials. Didn't take Sherlock Holmes to figure that out. No. So Paul Manafort really needs to get, if he's going to start doing this tricky business with financials, he's going to have to get better IT skills. Now, the FBI, the CIA, and the NSA are really afraid of Chinese phones. The six major intelligence agencies have been warning U.S. citizens not to buy phones made by ZTE or Huawei. Is that how you pronounce that, Huawei, would you think? Yeah, that looks, yeah, I think you're I right. I think that. They, these are, Close enough. So the intel chiefs made this recommendation at a Senate's Intelligence Committee hearing uh, a couple of weeks ago. And they said that, as, that they've always been very wary of Huawei because it was founded by a former engineer from the China's People's Liberation Army and has been described by U.S. politicians as effectively an arm of the Chinese government. The caution led to, uh, to a ban on Huawei's bidding for U.S. government contracts in 2014, and it's now causing problems for the company's push into consumer electronics. Huawei started life as a telecom company. Then they began creating 
uh, communications hardware, and then they moved recently into the smartphone business, and they have had a huge success in the smartphone area. They're now the second biggest smartphone maker behind Samsung. They make more smartphones than Apple, but they sell them every place except the U.S. Interesting. Both AT&T and Verizon tried to offer those phones in the U.S. because they're cheap and they're, uh, they're a good deal from the consumer's point of view. But after pressure from the U.S. government, they withdrew the offer. So there's no carrier in the U.S. that's offering to, to carry those phones. The U.S. government simply does not want to have Chinese phones on the U.S. telecom system. Now, the IRS is not going to be calling you. I just want you to know that. If you get a phone call from the IRS... It's a scam. It's a scam. They don't do that. It's not the IRS. No, indeed. They're not, they're, they've been, there are now a series of faint, fake phone calls that are going out. The IRS is leaving messages on people's on people's, uh, you know, message machines, and they're demanding immediate payment uh, using either a, a debit card or a gift card or a wire transfer. Now, generally, the IRS will actually mail a bill to the taxpayer if they owe money and give them a chance to talk about it, but they're making this demand. They also uh, are not giving you any rights as a taxpayer. They're saying, if you don't make this payment, you're in trouble. They threatened to bring in the local police, local immigration officers, <laughs> other law enforcement to have you arrested for not paying. They they threatened to revoke your driver's license, your business license, your immigration status. They make all kinds of threats, and they're hoping that they can just scare you into wiring the money. Do not fall for that. If you get a call like that, you can ignore it, or you can report it to the IRS. All right, let's take a short break here. Okay. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2. Watch us do the program by downloading the, the uh, Periscope app to your device, following us at Tech Talk. I'm sorry, at WFED Tech Talk. You can also learn more about the school by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. Ready to make a real difference in 2018? A degree in cybersecurity, digital forensics, or networking and telecommunications could help you secure your future as you help secure the world. Stratford University is now enrolling for career-focused IT degree programs on campus and online. Let Stratford's experienced IT faculty share their industry knowledge and practical solutions to help you succeed in today's most sought-after IT fields with accelerated classes and year-round program starts to help you earn your degree faster with demand at record high levels for cybersecurity, digital forensics and networking telecommunications careers now is the time to act stratford makes it easy turning your qualified experience into credits earned and if you're a vet they'll help you maximize your military benefits get complete details and register today at stratford.edu 18 it that's stratford.edu 18 it If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University 
with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. The FCC is now backing SpaceX's plan to provide internet service by a satellite. The FCC chairman, Ajit Pai, proposed the approval of the application for, for SpaceX to offer broadband service using satellites in the U.S. and worldwide. Now, SpaceX launched a pair of experimental satellites about a week ago in their Falcon 9 rocket, and uh, that was they're testing the technology to see whether it's going to be successful. Now, it turns out, in this particular instance, the Democrats and the Republicans were together. Both the Dems and the Republicans liked the program. In hmm. fact, Democratic FCC Commissioner Jessica uh, Rosenworcel said that the Internet service shows great promise for the U.S., now, Musk said in a speech, Elon Musk, he's, of course, CEO of uh, SpaceX, said in a speech in 2015 in Seattle that SpaceX plans to launch a satellite inter Internet system that would and they would use the revenue from that satellite Internet business to fund a future city on Mars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, OK. All right. OK, yeah. that's what he's going to he's, he's going to get all the money. Uh -huh. And when he launches to Mars now, Elon Musk said. Because you go to Mars, you're, you're not coming back. No, you're not. Coming. It's like it's a one-way trip. <laughs> so, so Mars. So Elon Musk said he does not plan to be to to go to that city in Mars, but no. he's looking for volunteers. Uh huh. He said the company wanted to create a global communication system to re and try to rebuild the internet in space. Now, over the past year, the FCC approves requests from other companies like OneWeb, Space Norway. Telesat to access the U.S. market for broadband internet services. They're trying to make broadband inter internet access to rural areas that lack the service. I mean, and I can tell you, I'm down in Kilmarnock at the, you know, on the uh, on at the, the northern on the northern neck, mm -hmm. and, and my internet speed at the house is five megabits per second. And I'll tell you, I just love to get some kind of broadband by satellite. Uh -huh. So. So I'm looking for this he's, right away. He's got some good ideas, but he's a little bit wacky, isn't he? He is a little bit wacky, and you know I'm not certain about this whole Mars deal, but he's oh, one way trip. He's he, <laughs> it is it's it is a one it is a one way trip. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just die over here while you're talking. So well, this this is for people that don't get along with their in laws. <laughs> That's a they, rather extreme. They, they, they get they get married and then boom, they're gone. That's a rather extreme uh, solution to the it problem. Is, it is fairly extreme. Now let's talk about creating a community page on, page on Facebook. I'm, it's it's interesting and it's so easy to do. Mm -hmm. uh, suppose you've got a you know a cause that you're working on, or you've got a nonprofit, you got some little activity, some organization you're working with. You want to, and you don't want to tie all of the activities on your cause to your you know, to your personal Facebook page, because there's a lot of stuff in that that's not relevant to your cause or your organization. So you can easily create a page on Facebook. So what you want to do, you have to log into your personal account first, and then you go to Pages. And once you're on Pages, there's something that says Create a New Page, and you'll be given an option on creating a new page, and it can either be an, a company, an organization, or an institution, or it can be a cause or community. So you pick what it is, a cause or a community, an organization or institution or a company. Now, make certain you enter the name correctly to your cause because once you enter that name and you can't change it because mm -hmm. everything is geared to that name. So make certain you don't make any mistakes on the name. Otherwise, you'll have to re create a new page. Now, then Facebook will ask you to add a page description. 
and you describe what your operation is. You'll, you'll link to the website of your organization or your cause, and they'll get and you'll get a, a, a unique URL for your Facebook page. And so it'll be facebook.com slash your organization's name. And then you'll be asked to add a profile picture, and you and then you'll be asked to define your target audience and the target audience of you know who you want to go to. Now the reason they want this target audience is they want to sell you ads. Uh-huh. They want uh-huh. to make money on your organization or community page. Now, once you've done all that, you've got the skeleton of your page set up. And then what you want to do is you want to start adding content. It's interesting. Once you've got some content there that's interesting, then you can invite all your friends to come in, and they can follow you or they can follow the organization on that page. You don't want to invite people until you've done that. And what they what they have with this thing they they've got all sorts of analytics there you, so you can you can analyze how many people come to your page, how many people follow it you can you can analyze what works and every time you put a post on this, this is where Facebook makes their money. They say, would you like to boost that post? Yeah, exactly. And then they charge you three dollars to boost it. So you could you could say, well, okay, I'll have a ten dollar boost budget, and they ship it out, and they'll put it in the news feed of people who don't who don't know you. Mm-hmm. So you'll just basically put posts on your on your page in news feeds of unsuspecting people hoping <laughs> hoping that they'll click on it come to your page and then follow your organization mm-hmm. so you can easily set this up i would suggest you just you know just organic growth you br- bring in your friends putting content that's so good that they share the content with other people who then share the content so you've got really good content that's shared you can actually grow organically, and that's you know called going viral. Yep. That's the best way to do that. You don't have to boost it. You don't have to pay Facebook a penny. So there you go, community pages or organizational pages on Facebook. Now the website of the week, broadband deployment data. You know I got I got I was curious about broadband. Well, the FCC has cataloged all the broadband data around the uh, the country, and you can put in your zip code and your 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 address, and it will tell you what broadband options you have to your house. It's broadbandmap.fcc.gov, broadbandmap.fcc.gov. It's actually pretty nice. I put in the, I, I put in the uh, you know, my address up here in northern Virginia. I got great Internet access. I put my address down there at Northern Neck, and I got pretty poor Internet access. <laughs> but, it, but the broadband map said I should be getting 100 megabits per second from this one carrier, and I'm only getting five megabits per second, so now I'm going to go back and try to find out what exactly what the problem is. is what exactly if anyone is going can figure to, it out, it's you. Yeah, because I don't. I don't like. Listen, I do not like being the slowest man on the block. <laughs> I mean, I you know because that, you certainly are not the slowest. That's man right. On it the just block. it really bothers me. Well, of course, Elon Elon Musk Tesla was launched into space a few weeks ago, and researchers have calculated there's a six percent chance of colliding with Earth. <laughs> <laughs> Does he have insurance for that? No. <laughs> What's there's, the a, there's a 2.5% chance that it's going to hit Venus over the next million years. Oh, okay. See, at 6.5%, it'll hit collide with Earth over the next million years. Well, will the Earth still be here in a well, million that's, years? Uh, that's a big if. That's what they're, they're hoping. Now, computer simulations suggest there's a slim chance that it will hit the sun, but no chance that it will be hitting Mars. Now, Elon Musk launched his car into space on 6 February using the Falcon Heavy heavy rocket. And uh, he selected his old cherry red Tesla sports car. He put a space-suited mannequin 
in the strapped the spacesuit mannequin in the driver's seat. He set the radio to play David Bowie's soundtrack on a loop. So it's launched into space with the space guy sitting there playing a soundtrack on a loop for the next million years. For the years. next million years. I wonder what <laughs> I wonder what the deductible is if you have a collision with, with the Earth in your car. I, I don't know. I, I, I doubt if it's covered. Probably not. Now, the, the car was placed into an elliptical orbit around the sun that extends far out as far out as the planet Mars. Tesla will make a relatively close pass to Earth every 30 years. <laughs> if, if it does return to Earth, it's likely to completely burn up, although there's a chance that a small chunk of the engine could hit the ground. So, That's pretty funny. There you go. That's uh, in, uninteresting, uninteresting space debris. Now, Americans are, communities are launching their own internet networks. You know, this is this whole broadband thing is getting on my nerves. I think I've, I've sort of focused on that. Because more than 750 communities across the U.S. Are, are operating their own broadband networks. And these are typically that are served by local rural electric cooperatives. And, they've, and some of them are at least local fiber optic that has been publicly built. The data was provided by the Institute for Self-Reliance. What these businesses are trying to do is get away from the monopoly of a few people that are controlling Internet, like Verizon and Comcast, because they don't feel as though they're getting competitive technology because there's not enough competition in this space. So they're bringing in and trying to do it publicly. They've also, um, and there's been a huge lobbying effort on the part of these big telecom companies trying to stop this because they don't like this competition, but I think it's good for the business. We recently saw that Fort Collins, Colorado, that ISPs were willing to spend a lot of money, this is like, this is Verizon and Comcast, to stop the communities from building it, because more and more communities in Colorado are actually building their own Internet access point. And I think it's actually a very, very good idea, because we need more competition in this area. That, by the way, is why Google started building fiber optic devices. They started going into different communities. They're in like 10 different communities. They're, they're putting in gigabit fiber, and they wanted to demonstrate that you could deliver gigabit fiber and not charge the consumer that much more. Mm -hmm. And so I think the more competition we get in, the, in terms of Internet access, the better, because, you know, people need a lot of bandwidth now because we're going to over-the-air content, yeah. and the more bandwidth, the better. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. We'd also like you to check out the programs on the Stratford University website. Go to stratford.edu, check out those programs, and let them know that you heard about the programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. <laughs>